If you want to grab one of your own Bible or grab one of the Bibles in the window cells and open up to the book of 2 Corinthians and you'll find that in the New Testament. Let me think, five, six, seven, eighth book in, I think. 2 Corinthians. Wonderful, and just keep that open where you're at. Uh, chapter 1, we'll come to it in a second or two. But I'd like to read, we're starting a new series. In the background uh, to this, throughout this, as is, is I and, and a few others take us through this book, is just a topic of battle. Some of us may use the word spiritual warfare, but this is a, the, the dynamic that's going on here is between um, Paul the Apostle uh, to the Gentiles and the, the church at Corinth. And there is a lot going on. And it's a, just when you get people together in a room, there can be a lot of dynamics. And there's a lot of dynamics behind this letter. And also we'll come across that as we read through it. So behind everything, I'm always thinking of the, the battle, the warfare, the spiritual warfare that's going on for the, the soul of these believers and Paul himself. But today I'm going to focus in on the subject of suffering. And you'll see in a moment why I've chosen that. I'm trying to get away from my squeaky floor here. It's, it's annoying me. Here's a, a, a book. Let me just put up the first slide, Andrew. Is that okay? And then I'll go from here on in. I'm going to read just a little bit from the prologue where um, Jay Wolf is writing. And this is him and his, his wife, Catherine. And he says this, Our stories are glorious. They are also painful, unfair, scary, and almost always quite different from what we thought they would be. Yet it seems that those parts might be the very means through which the glory is most revealed. Their story is at the age of 24, I think she was, if memory serves me right, she had a brainstem seizure stroke. Uh, they had a six-month-year-old boy, and their life was turned absolutely upside down. And he writes, our stories are glorious. They're also painful, unfair, scary, and almost always quite different from what we thought they would be. Yet it seems that those parts might be the very means through which the glory is most revealed. Suffering, hardship, difficulty, the unexpected things, the left hook, the curveball, whatever other terminology we would give to it. And their book is called Suffer Strong. Can you give me the next slide, Andrew? As we begin this study of 2 Corinthians over a number of weeks, we're going to begin with this subject of suffering as Paul does right at the beginning of this letter. The Apostle Paul knew great suffering. Thank you. And when he became a follower, when he met Jesus uh, on the road to Damascus, he also, Jesus also spoke to a believer called Ananias and says, I want you to go to this very place, this specific house, and I want you to pray for this guy called Saul. Saul became Paul. And Ananias 
objected because he knew that Saul was going around rounding up believers of Jesus and taking them, man, woman, and child, to the high priest for punishment as a sect, as a heresy. And the Lord um, says this to Ananias. I will show him, Saul, i.e. Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So right at the beginning, when he met Jesus, in those first moments, the Lord spoke to a believer and said, here's what is coming for, for Paul. The one that's been causing so much suffering, he's going to suffer, but it's going to be glorious, and it's going to be according to my will. And from the very start, um, Paul was acquainted with much suffering. He says this. This is part of his testimony. I have worked with much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. When he's saying these things, He's comparing himself, and we'll come to this in the weeks to come, he's comparing himself to the would-be super apostles in the church. People who came who uh, bad-mouthed Paul because Paul suffered. Bad-mouthed Paul because Paul wouldn't accept any money for the ministry. And these super apostles showed up with their big souped-up cars, with their uh, preacher sneakers, and their eloquent speech, which Paul was not, and they roused up the church against Paul, casting all sorts of things against his name and his ministry and his calling. And so Paul is comparing himself to these super apostles when he's reflecting on his life of suffering. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been danger from rivers, in danger of bandits, in dangers from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger of the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and I've, been, I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked beside everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. From the very beginning, Paul was acquainted with what it means to suffer. And in that, it's a glorious falling of Jesus Christ. Suffering is quite common is very common. So Paul isn't some academic, although he was an extremely brilliant writer, not so great at, at speaking it in front of crowds, but he was an incredible writer, but he was no academic hauled up in his ivory tower. He was on the ground with people, bleeding for them as it were, loving them and suffering with the church. Have you ever heard someone say that God won't give you something or God won't give you more than you can handle? I've heard that so many times and, and it's rubbish. Because of this, Paul says, and we're going to read chapters, chapter 1, 1 to 11, but I just want to refer to this one text. Paul says this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers or sisters, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. So the next time someone says and tries to come alongside and console you and comfort you and say, oh, don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle. Remember Paul's testimony. 
God often puts us in situations, and we'll come to why, God often puts us in situations that are above and beyond our ability to endure for good reason. So Paul was overwhelmed. He was despaired of life. He couldn't see a way forward. Um, in other words, his soul was crumbling at times or was crushed under the weight of suffering. Paul, the apostle, who wrote the vast majority of the New Testament, found at times that his soul as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, was crushed so much that he didn't know if he could go on. And according to data released by the National Records of Scotland in 2022, there were 762 probable suicides in our nation. The rate of suicide in males was almost three times as high as females. The rate of suicide in the most deprived areas was 2.6 times more than the least deprived areas. Our own council, Perth and Kinross, is one of the highest rates of suicide in our nation. And Scotland, in terms of the United Kingdom, only comes behind Northern Ireland when it comes to suicide rates. And I can imagine those people, and I've known one or two, who take their own lives, feel as if their soul is crumbling inside them and they're beyond despair and they don't know what to do. And in that horrible moment, they make that awful decision, not in their right minds. Suffering is real, but for some reason, people feel guilty about suffering, much like mental health. They feel guilty about it, I shouldn't suffer. There's some twisted view of Christianity that says that we should never suffer and we should always prosper. That we should never feel down, that we should never feel depression. And I don't know where this idea came from because certainly the Bible is honest about the topic of suffering. It's part of life. And some of God's, can I call them, choicest servants, the ones that we look up to, Heroes of the faith endured suffering far beyond, I'm sure, what we go through at times. Although I do not want to minimize the suffering that we do go through. And so, as we approach this subject of suffering, there is no seven easy steps to conquer suffering sermons going on here. There is none of that. But I believe in these first 11 verses, there are some truths that we can hone in on for comfort, for strength, to show a way forward. But before, and, and this is his way of introduction to the whole series, so I, but I need to do this. To understand the context of why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians, it's important to just go over seven years' history in a matter of three minutes, Okay. And again, Andrew, give me my next slide for this. So Paul visited Corinth in his second missionary journeys. And over an 18-month period, yeah, in about 50 to 52, he established the church there in Corinth. And he left. And then about three years later, two, three years later, he was in Ephesus. And he heard problems that were going on in the church of Corinth, moral problems. And so he wrote a letter from Ephesus to the, the church at, at Corinth. And he referred to this previous letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. But we don't have that letter anymore. It's not 1 Corinthians. There was a letter to the church at Corinth before 1 Corinthians. Then he received news 
uh, from the Corinthian church, from Chloe's household. Chloe was a house, she was a leader in the church. The church met in her home. And so he heard news about serious problems among the fellowship. And on the basis of that information, he then wrote 1 Corinthians in about 55 AD. That's the book before the one that we're focusing in on just now. But 1 Corinthians was not successful. It didn't do what Paul thought it would do. In fact, it seemed to encourage further rebellion against his authority and against some of the things that he tried to address. And in response, Paul probably made a, a brief visit to Corinth, uh, trying to personally resolve that issue, and he called that the painful visit. But what happened was he was rebuffed by the church. They still did not listen. They were still rebellious, and they were still struggling with this moral uh, matter that Paul was so concerned about. And that whole episode came to a, power, to a head as this powerful minority um, questioned Paul and his leadership and put Paul on the defence. He returned to Ephesus. I think that's the next slide, Andrew. And he wrote a third letter out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears. And this was an exceedingly severe letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth. And therefore it was called the stern or the rebuking letter. And you know what? We don't have that letter either. That was the third letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth. Titus was sent and others were sent to visit the church and to see what they could do with this severe letter in an attempt to bring reconciliation. Meanwhile, Paul was so anxious, you know, he's suffering, he's in turmoil, he loves this church, he's a father of this church. And, and so he travels to Troas to see if he can find Titus. And then somewhere in, in uh, Macedonia, he finds out from Titus and others that the letter was successful. There's been repentance and they've put this minority, they've put this person outside the church for their own good so that they may come to their senses. And you'll know that from 1 Corinthians. The church was no longer opposed to Paul and his leadership. And they were looking to reestablish friendship again. Paul then responded by writing 2 Corinthians. And from Philippi, about 56, 57. And then Paul made his final journey to Corinth, his third visit, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 20, and during which he solidified his relationship with the church there. And he took an offering, which we'll come to at the end of Second uh, Corinthians, he took an offering from the church to the church in Jerusalem that was suffering severe persecution. That very quickly is the background to what we're about to read. Conflict, seven years of Great excitement, great disappointment, relationships, not walking away from them, standing up because there was lives that mattered in all of this. And we get to the book we are now at. Are you with me? Can I cough? <coughs> Second Corinthians. And the first thing, Andrew, if you can bring up the first slide, I'm going to look at three truths. And there's two up there just now. And the first one is that God is compassionate and encouraging as we look at suffering, as we work out what we're to do in the midst of suffering, Paul highlights this, the very attributes of God. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Paul, 
an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. Right away, he's asserting who he is. No, no shame. He's asserting, I'm, I'm called by Jesus Christ. I've met him and he's told me what my role has to be and it's to be a life of suffering as well. To the church of God in Corinth together with all the saints throughout Achaia. So the, the church was a series of churches. Not just one big super mega church, but house churches. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. I think it's amazing how traumatic experiences can get us in touch with our emotions and in the midst of those tragic experiences is when we're most thankful. We can coast through life all too easy, but then suddenly we're, we're faced, we might be a carefree person and just always see the positive things at life, but even those of us who are carefree need to admit that unexpected trauma, illness, people that we love suffering make us aware of our emotions, the fragility of life, and at times, the f we, it produces thankfulness because we see what is everyday good things in our lives. God speaks, or Paul speaks, of God's compassion. And he speaks of God's comfort because he's just in the middle of a horrific uh, situation. He is bashed and bruised near death um, because of what he's been called to go through. Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. And this was the cross that Paul had to bear. To stand with this rebellious people. To love them even though they were rejecting them. They were slagging him about how he would stutter and he wouldn't be able to be razzmatazz. They questioned that he was not accepting money from them but would work for a living. And Paul went through all of that and stood with them. It was horrific but he calls God faithful in all of those times. He reflected and he called God faithful. Some people in those moments don't reflect. Some of us go into retail therapy. Some, to us turn, some of us turn to the bottle. Some of us turn to sex. Some of us turn to eating. When things become so horrific, some of us retreat from people and retreat from the church because we've got this stoic thing of just working it out, or we don't want to be vulnerable in front of people. Paul reflects in his situation, and he says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Even in this situation, he is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Paul's hope is not based on his circumstances. All is going well, God is faithful. All is not going well, God is still faithful. Paul's hope is not based on people. People like me, people are kind to me, God is faithful. That is not Paul's situation. Paul's hope is ground in the eternal nature, the very nature of God himself because he also has first-hand experience. He's lived through it, that God 
is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. A despicable lie of the father of lies, the Satan, is this. And it is a despicable lie that all too often we've listened to this. God is nowhere to be found. God doesn't care. God has abandoned us. That is a lie. And Paul, at some point, has just swatted that aside. And he is saying God is the father of all comfort. It's his very nature. He doesn't know just how to show compassion. He is compassion. He doesn't know how just to show mercy. He is mercy. It's who he is. It's not just some comfort and some mercy. It's all mercy. I do not know what you're going through. Well, I I do some of the things know that you're going through. God is merciful and compassionate in that dark place that you are, have been. Because let's face the truth, we've either came from turmoil and difficulty, we're in turmoil or difficulty, or we're heading to turmoil and difficulty. And the paradox is, we're also in the life of the kingdom and being changed from one glory to another. It doesn't mean that when we come to faith, we, we sit in this bed of roses, beautiful petals, and all of that sort of malarkey. Pick up your cross and follow me. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they see all kinds of evil and rude things, Towards me, they will do the same to you. If they spit at me, they'll spit at you. But never will I leave you, never will I forsake you, because I am the God of all comfort and mercy. It's my very nature. He is the Logos, the very thing that holds all existence together, Jesus. And he is closer than the very breath that we breathe, holding our very life together. And it goes without saying that Jesus is the supreme evidence of this. So he is the God of all comfort. Second thing, suffering has a purpose. Verse four. So pray, I'll say verse three again. So praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and your salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patience, endurance of the same suffering we suffer. So there's a purpose to suffering. God isn't capricious, If you know Allah, and if you explore a little bit of Islam, you'll know that Allah is capricious. It's up to him. Whatever Allah wills, he can say one thing and change his mind in a second. No Muslim would disagree with that. Allah is not the same as the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is all compassion, merciful. And some people might be outraged by that statement that suffering has a purpose. Nevertheless, I think it's uh, fair to say that um, rare is someone free from suffering and that we all experience that. Paul discerned the purpose of suffering. He says in verse 9, he says this, Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, suffering. 
But this happened, the purpose, so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Again, I'll read that. The purpose of suffering, Paul identifies as this. We felt the sentence of death, overwhelmed and our soul crushed. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Suffering has a way of demonstrating to us, especially those of us who know Jesus, who walk with him, who follow him by his spirit. Suffering has got a way of helping us to know that our resources, our own resources are limited. Andrew, give me another slide, will you? Tozer says this, I thought it was a great, how completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. Speaks for itself. Suffering has a way of demonstrating to us that we don't have all. Like the apprentice who was, and I've said this before, but it comes to mind, and, I, um, and it was, anyway, and he's at the Niagara Fall with his journeyman, and he's about to sit his final test before he gets his papers. And the journeyman tells him to look at the Niagara Falls and says, okay, son, what are you going to do about that? And the apprentice, keen to impress his journeyman, says, okay. <clears throat> Pulls up his socks and he says, I think I can do something about this. Whereas out with his ability to change it. But delusions of grandeur sometimes means that we retreat. We pull back from people, we pull back from God, and we sort our lives out. That's not what it means to pick up your cross and follow him. That's not what it means to follow in the dust of your rabbi. We can't do it. Suffering has a way of helping us to realize how limited our resources are and how completely satisfying to turn from our limitations to a God who has none. And the second thing, Andrew, thank you, is that suffering is a training ground for service to others. I used to, I probably still do, and I am saying it just now, so I say, jokingly, that my upbringing as a young kid in Glasgow in the household, the last of six children, prepared me for church leadership. And because before my dad had his quadruple high pass, bypass, about 10 years before he died, my mum and dad fought like cat and dog. My mum and dad had two separate lives. I stopped my mum when I was probably about the age of 10 to 12 from attacking my dad with a knife. I can remember my mum throwing an ashtray at my dad's head. They wouldn't talk to each other for weeks and weeks and weeks. I was the go-between. All my siblings had disappeared and left me. There was that expectation that once I had left the house that my parents would separate. There were working class people who knew no better. There were people who were considered slow. Literally, they were considered slow because of poor education. And I used to joke. There was a transformation in their life in the last 10 years, by the way. But I'm telling you just the bad stuff. To, because I used to say that. Oh, I put up with my mommy and daddy trying to kill each other. I can put up with church leaders. I can put up with Pitlocky Baptist. I can put up with Stirling Baptist. I used to say that. But suffering does equip us. I, I went through some terrible things. Depression for about six or seven years. Why? Well, I, I believe I can understand and have empathy with those who do. I do. I, I, I'm not, I went through it and I know what it feels like. I know those dark days. I know that depression. I know that hopelessness. I know that not being able to speak. I know all of that. And therefore, I believe I can come around people. 
When I've got young, and I've had four uh, young people who have been a pastor over, and they've came to me, and they've straight out of uh, school, and they're wanting to go to university, and they've said, I want to go and study theology, I want to be a pastor. What do you think? And I've always tried my best to dissuade them, as my pastor Edwin Gunn did to me. Four of them became pastors, and they're very good pastors and my colleagues. But because life experience, and I know we say that, but life experience, especially as we journey through suffering, and reflect on the suffering, we can share that with so many others. And Paul was saying that here, a purpose of suffering. So God is compassionate, encouraging. He's also a purpose for suffering. And the final truth we learn from Paul and his interactions from Corinthians is that suffering does build community. The last one. Let's read verse 7. This is the last thing. And to 11. So, and our hope for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also we share, you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardship we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks to our God. Many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. So, very briefly, Paul's goal here in this record uh, this, this letter, as well as the collection to take to Jerusalem, is to effect reconciliation with the Corinth uh, church and establish once again his authority as founder and apostle. And he does this by being transparent. And I love that. Paul sets upon an incredible task by being transparent, and he starts off by being vulnerable right at the beginning. That should say something to us. Because we all like to meet people from a position of strength, first impressions. We all like to have it all together. But here is Paul, desperate to be reconciled, and does so by saying, here is what I went through for your sake, according to God's purposes and plans. And through that, there is reconciliation. Paul admits to hardships, great pressure far beyond his ability to endure, so that he and presumably Timothy despaired even of life. And he looks to rebuild those relationships through vulnerability. Recently, someone wrote me an email, um, and it countered something that has been said to me in the past. Someone in the past said of my preaching, could you stop hanging out your dirty laundry in public? My answer was no. And then recently, my pastor, having heard me preach elsewhere, uh, wrote me a letter and he says, Dave, thanks, your sermon was great, honest and anointed. I don't share that for, look at me, look at me. I share that because I believe honesty from here is important. Sharing who we are from here is important. 
that we're all Jock Tamsin Bairns, but that we're all called to follow Jesus. He has purpose in all of the things we're involved in. Sometimes our rebellion heaps more trouble on our lives and we should encourage one another. And we should stop and, and being attracted to a veneer of niceness. The gospel has nothing to do with a veneer of niceness. We should be able, and I should be able, to speak honestly from my life experiences as a disciple of Jesus Christ, called to a role, kicking and screaming, may I add, for his glory. So I always err on the side of openness and therefore I always err on the side of us being in small, and small groups because only there in prayer triplets will we over a period of time be honest with someone, trust someone enough so that when the chips are down, God sends a helper by his Holy Spirit to be with us. And I'm going to stop, but I've got lots more to say. <laughs> I do not know where you are at. But as we look at warfare, as we look at spiritual warfare, as we look at what it means to follow Jesus in his dust, we must be um, vulnerable enough, we must be willing enough to contemplate tough things we're going through and to say, God, where are you in this? Not why am I going through this, but God, where are you and what are you doing and what can I learn? That is a better question to ask. To grow more and more in love with our Saviour, who's all compassionate and all gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. To encourage one another, to be long-suffering with one another. And as we'll see, to call others to account as well, because some of our practices are not right. To hold grace and truth in equal measure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Shall we pray together? Father, you know um, where we're at. Where can, we, where can we run? Where can we flee from you? If we go up, up, up into the heavens, you're there. If we make our bed in the depths, even the darkness cannot hide you. You perceive our thoughts from afar. So, Father, where can we flee from you with the things that this sermon has brought, into our, brought to our attention? And I pray, Lord, that we would now, in this, this time, be able to bring it to the cross of Jesus. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. He is our peace, he is our peace. Cast all your cares for him, for he cares for you. He is our peace, he is our peace. So cast your cares on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, the one who loves us. Amen. Amen.